welcome back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, episode number 69, where we go back, back to, to the, the past, past and read a comic book from the yesteryear of publishing. You can find us every Sunday on chrisandreggie.podbean.com or pick us up on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and by the dashboard light. Ooh, it's 69 times the, <laughs> the coolest number, Chris, right? The party That's number. That's what I hear, yeah. Uh, so we are doing a sort of a different episode this time. This is at Chris's suggestion, everybody, so don't pin this one on me. But, uh, <laughs> but I, was, I was all for it. I, I definitely jumped right into it when he just mentioned it. I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, it's going to be a sexy, sex-filled episode. Uh, we're going to deal with a definitely an adults-only comic book. And uh, while we don't necessarily, you know, craft the show to be family friendly, we do keep it pretty light, right? Usually, as possible. And we have done that here too. It, you'll see that as we go into some of the blue language that's featured in the book, we have tried to clean it up a little bit. But if you listen to this in public, you listen to this at work or with your kids around, maybe this is not the episode to do that with. Okay, yeah, this you is put the headphones in for this one. Exactly, headphones in, and maybe you shouldn't be. Uh, have too many people around, but uh, what book are we looking at today? We are looking at The Pro from uh, July 2002. This came out from Image Comics, written by Garth Ennis, penciled by Amanda Kana, inked by Jimmy Palmiotti, colored by Paul Mounts, and lettered also by Amanda Connor. This came out for $5.95. That's right, an oversized, I think it's 64 pages. I'm it's sure. a prestige format, It's yeah. a prestige format, yeah, it was like a cardboard. Got cover. a little spine. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is a book that you've we've talked about. Chris has talked about it quite a bit as sort of an example of the depravity of yeah, everything I everything I love in this industry. Uh, <laughs> no, and no, definitely, no. Definitely, it'll be, well, we'll, we'll get there and we'll have a lot to talk about, but of course, we're going to start off with the creators, and we're going to talk about the three people that own the property, beginning with Garth Ennis, who was born January 16, 1970, in Hollywood, County Down, Northern Ireland. He was an avid reader of British war comics during his formative years, and Ennis did not read superhero comics until his late teens, at which point he found them ridiculous. He has stated, I find most superhero stories completely meaningless, which is not to say I don't think there's potential for the genre. Alan Moore and Warren Ellis have both done interesting work with the notion of what it might be like and to be and think beyond human, see Miracle Man, Watchmen, and Super Gods. But so long as the industry is geared towards fulfilling audience demand, i.e. for the same brightly colored characters doing the same thing forever, you're never going to see any real growth. The stories can't end, so they'll never mean anything. A big World War II buff, he also finds characters like Captain America... Borderline offensive, because to me, the reality of World War II was very human people, ordinary flesh-and-blood guys who slogged it out in miserable, flooded foxholes. So adding some fantasy superhero narrative, that has always annoyed me a little bit. But also, per interview with Sequential Art in 1998, he does like Superman and Wonder Woman, so that's nice. Very conflicted. Yeah. Uh, now, Ennis began his comic writing career in 1989 with the series Troubled Souls. It's appeared in the critically acclaimed British anthology Crisis, and it was illustrated by John McCrae. It would spawn a sequel called For a Few More Trouble For a Few Troubles More, and that came out in 1990. It's a broad Belfast-based comedy featuring two supporting characters from Troubled Souls. Uh, those would be Dougie and Ivor. 
Uh, they would later get their own American comic series, Dicks, that came out from Caliber Comics in 1997. Uh, Ennis was later critical of his writing debut, which he uh, describes as the kind of thing that, that they were doing well at the time. With hindsight, with Troubled Souls, really, what Troubled Souls really represented was na- naked ambition. It was a direct attempt to get published. And that was the road that seemed most likely to lead me to success. To that success, even. <laughs> Oi, la la. Okay. <laughs> Another series for Crisis was called True Faith. It was a religious satire inspired by his school days. And this one was drawn by Warren Fleece. Uh, Warren Fleece. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay, that's a name. Uh, <laughs> it would be collected. Well, they're all they're all from the UK. They you know yes. so the names roll. No, this was collected as a graphic novel in 1990, but uh, religious protests led to it being quickly withdrawn from sale, apparently on the orders of publisher Robert Maxwell. It would eventually be republished in 1997 as well, and that came out through Vertigo. I think Dix also got republished at some point by Vertigo. I want to say so, yeah. Uh, I might be, yeah, I believe it's out there. Uh, and it shortly after began to write for Crisis's parent publication, 2000 AD, quickly moving on to the biggest character, Judge Dredd. He took over from, from original creator John Wagner for a period of several years. Best known for the 20-part epic Judgment Day, which ran in 2000 AD, number 786 to 799. That was June 6th to September 5th, 1992. Ennis' first work on American comics came in 1991 when he took over DC Comics' horror title, Hellblazer, with issue number 41, that was a May 1991 cover date, which he wrote until number 50, February 1992 cover date, then from 52 to 83, that was April 92 to November 94 covers, and again from 192 to 133, September 1998 to January 99 covers. It was on Hellblazer that Garth first combined with Steve Dillon. And then from 1993 to 1995, Ennis and John McRae worked on another DC title. This was The Demon. Uh, in this series, they would introduce the character Hitman. And that would be in the Demon Annual number two from 1993. That was a Bloodlines crossover, yeah. and probably the only Bloodlines crossover people remember fondly. That's it, yep. Now, this would uh, spin off into a 60 plus, plus issue series written by Ennis and drawn by McRae. Uh, arguably, but not even arguably, the most successful Bloodlines <laughs> property. Uh, Hitman birthed lots of weird and silly characters, including Dog Welder, who was uh, voted Best New Character of 1997 by the readers of Wizard Magazine, which tells you a thing or two about the readers of that Wizard Magazine. That's comic readers in general. We're <laughs> a silly bunch. Now, Hitman issue 34 from February 1999 uh, had Superman starring. It was of the I Sing, and it won the 1999 Eisner Award for Best Single Issue, presented to Ennis and McRae. Uh, for Tomorrow, the storyline in issues 39 through 42, October, July through October 1999, was a top vote getter for the Comics Buyer's Guide Fan Award for Favorite Story of 2000. It even led to two six-issue miniseries featuring Section 8 that were published very recently in 2014 and 2016. That's right, and I, I enjoyed them, and that's why we slipped that in there. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that features like their gross, gross-out league of heroes, yeah. whatever. It's hard, hard to explain, but uh, funny stuff if you have a certain sensibility. And I think after you f- we finish reading the pro, you'll find out if you're you'll know. sensibility yeah. <laughs> or not. Uh, in the one-shot special, Punisher kills a Marvel Universe, which had November '95 cover date, drawn by Doug Braithwaite. Ennis has the Punisher kill every single superhero and supervillain on Earth. Ennis and Dylan would go on to create Preacher for Vertigo Comics. That had 66 issues, came out from 1995 to 2000, 
a comic series so revered, they made a television show out of it, which currently is on AMC, although I don't know when the new season starts, but I know it's going to happen. Uh, other comics projects uh, Ennis wrote during this time and period include Goddess, Bloody Mary, Unknown Soldier, and Pride and Joy, all for DC Vertigo, as well as origin stories for The Darkness in uh, for Image Comics and Shadow Man for Valiant Comics. In 2001, Garth briefly returned to UK to write uh, UK comics to write the epic Helter Skelter for Judge Dredd. This series was not a success, and Ennis himself said that there was not a hope to return to writing Dredd as he was generally not happy with his run. He said, I'm too close to Dread. I like him too much. I can't tamper with the formula, nor can I take the piss the way I do with superheroes. Now, after uh, Hitman wrapped up, Ennis was hired at Marvel Comics, with the promise from Editor-in-Chief Joe Quesada that he could write The Punisher as long as he cared to. This would begin as a 12-issue series from April 2000 to March 2001, drawn by Steve Dillon for the Marvel Knights imprint. This is uh, where he kind of sidestepped the whole Punisher becomes an angel of vengeance thing in like a single page. It was uh, that was nice of him. pretty good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> now, this would expand to a 37-issue series running from August 2001 through February 2004, also drawn by Dylan and even co-written by him when Ennis would had, had to step away for a few issues. Ennis changed direction and kicked the series over to Marvel's Mature Reader's imprint. That was the Max line, and it was drawn by Lawrence Campbell. And I had 75 issues and one annual from March 2004 through October of 2009 cover. Uh, this has become a touchstone series for many Punisher stories that followed. While at Marvel, he also wrote stories for Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, Hulk, and Thor. Other comics Ennis has written include War Story with various artists for DC, The Pro for Image Comics, which is the book we're talking about today, The Authority for Wildstorm, Just a Pilgrim for Black Bull Press, uh, and 303, a six-issue miniseries titled Chronicles of Wormwood, and a Western comic book Streets of Glory for Avatar Press. In 2006, it was announced that Ennis would write a new creator-owned extended series, The Boys, originally published by Wildstorm. After six issues, The Boys was canceled by Wildstorm in January of 2007. Ennis later explained that this was because DC Comics owned Wildstorm were uneasy with the anti-superhero tone of the work. The series was picked up by Dynamite Entertainment, uh, The Boys, and uh, ran for 72 issues until 2012, illustrated by Derek Robertson. Yeah, if only Paul Levitz never actually picked up an issue of it. Yeah, he, stayed over he at was the one, right? Yeah, when he saw it. Yeah. <laughs> now, in uh, November 2006, an ongoing Midnighter solo series began with an initial creative partnership of Garth Ennis and Chris Sprouse. Uh, this book was part of the 2006 Worldstorm soft reboot of the Wildstorm universe, and that saw several books relaunched. But uh, faltered when flagship titles The Authority and Wildcats were delayed a lot, <laughs> and then canceled after two and uh, one issues, uh, respectively. Wow. <laughs> yeah, the Wildcats Volume Four is one issue. One issue. Written, that's amazing. Written by written by Grant Morrison too. Hey, that's nice. Yeah, now, uh, Ennis wrote the first arc and uh, one standalone issue before leaving the title at the same time as The Boys was canceled over at uh, Wildstorm. There, uh, Ennis worked with film director John Woo on a five issue com- 
comic book miniseries called Seven Brothers that came out through Virgin Comics in 2006. Um, in 2008, Ennis ended his five-year run on, pub, on Punisher Max to debut a new Marvel title. This is called War is Hell, The First Flight of the Phantom Eagle. Uh, this limited series with artist Howard Chaikin featured the little-used character Phantom Eagle, a World War One pilot who originally appeared in Marvel Comics during the 60s. That same year, Ennis also wrote a new Dan Dare miniseries published by Virgin Comics, and then in 2011, Ennis wrote and directed a short film, Stitched, produced to drum up support for a possible feature and to promote the Avatar series of the same name. This fellow stays pretty busy, not to mention that Preacher Television Show is probably keeping him in salami and rye bread, I have a feeling. Uh, he, yeah, he's, like he said, he's done miniseries. I think he more or less writes his own ticket these days. And uh, in 1998, Eisner Award for Best Writer for Hitman, Preacher, Unknown Soldier, and Blood Mary, Lady Liberty. In the same year, he got the Eisner Award for Best Single Issue for Hitman number 34 of The I Sing. And he got the 1999 Eagle Award for Favorite Color Comic Book. That was for Preacher, and I assume that was split with Steve Dillon, I'd like to think, but... I would hope so. Maybe the color is too. How about that? But who knows? Sure. (laughs) Now we're going to hop onto the other side of the table. We have Amanda Connor, who was born sometime and someplace. That's that's my belief. There was a birth. I think so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now she would study at the Cupid School in Dover, New Jersey. Uh, Worked as a color separation company, worked at a color separation company, which handled comics coloring prior to the industry adoption of computer programs such as Photoshop. Uh, Then she would work at a comic book store. At the time, she lived a little over an hour from New York City. And on her days off, she would travel into the city with her father and use his office as a home base from which to call editors at Marvel and DC to request a portfolio review. At the same time, she became acquainted with professional artists through her work at the comic shop and answered an advertisement by artist Bill Sienkiewicz to become his assistant. Now, after about her sixth or seventh time showing her portfolio, Marvel editor Greg Wright gave Connor her first illustration assignment an 11-page Yellow Jacket backup story in Solo Avengers number 12. That was November 1988 cover date. Her other early work includes Excalibur and Suburban Jersey Ninja She-Devils for Marvel, Strip Aids USA for Last Gasp in 1988, and Archie and the Adventures of Bayou Billy, stories for Archie Comics 1989-90. to uh, I remember that video game. Didn't know there was uh-huh. a uh, comic, but all right. This is around the time she met Jimmy Palmiotti, who was working as an inker. We'll have more on him in a minute. Uh, From 1993 to 1994, she penciled issues 1 through 10 of Peter David and Richard Howell's creator-owned series Soul Searchers and Company, published by Claypool Comics. In 1994, she penciled Barbie Fashion Number 43, a Marvel Comics title that was licensed from the Mattel doll. That same year, she did her first Vampirella work with Vengeance of Vampirella, a mini-comic that was bundled with an issue of Wizard magazine. Now, the following year, she penciled issues 2 through 11 of Marvel's Gargoyles, which was based on the Disney animated television series of the same name. In uh, 1996, she penciled Kid Death and Fluffy Spring Break break Special (laughs) No. 1 for Topps Comics and Tomoe No. 3 for Billy Tucci's Crusade Comics. 
Uh, she also returned to Vampirella with ha- Harris's Vampirella Lives, issues one through three, which teamed her with writer Warren Ellis. In uh, 1997, she illustrated the intercompany crossover Painkiller Jane versus The Darkness that came out through Event Comics. It was here, free of the constraints of licensed properties, that Amanda says she found her niche. On uh, Painkiller Jane versus The Darkness, she discovered that it was possible to render material of a dark tone that also incorporated black humor. Uh, Connor would return to Painkiller Jane with the number zero issue, which recounted the character's origin. Her other comic book credits include Lois Lane, Codename Knockout, and Birds of Prey for DC Comics, as well as Two-Step with writer Warren Ellis for the cliffhanger imprint of Wildstorm Comics. X-Men Unlimited for Marvel, Gatecrasher, which she co-created for Black Bull Comics, and The Pro, which we will be getting to soon enough. In 2005, she illustrated the origin of Power Girl in JSA Classified 1 through 4. She also penciled a Blade comic that same year to go with the special DVD edition, so if you have that, you have something rare, folks. Mm-hmm. Connor Palmiotti and writer Justin Gray worked together via their multimedia entertainment company, Paper Films. They collaborated on the Terra miniseries, which premiered in November 2008, and the first 12 issues of the Power Girl ongoing series, both of these were penciled by Connor and both published by DC Comics. Mm-hmm. In 2009, Connor drew the Supergirl story in Wednesday Comics, which also featured appearances by Crypto and Streaky the Supercat. Following her departure from Power Girl, Connor wrote and penciled a story featured in Wonder Woman number 600, uh, 600 in August 2010. That featured a team up between Power Girl and Wonder Woman and Batgirl. Uh, IDW Publishing released The Art of Amanda Connor in April 2012. DC Comics published DC Comics, the sequential art of Amanda Connor, the following November. Not to be outdone by IDW. No. You know? <laughs> now, she's drawn uh, every cover for Harley Quinn, as well as uh, co-written the series since 2013, and does more or less whatever she wants. <laughs> Her artwork appeared in movies and on television. Yeah, I'd love to see her do more interior work. She is a really Absolutely. skilled illustrator. Uh, and if you see, she did that to some of the before Watchmen stuff, too. She did some of that yeah. stuff. You know, And that Power Girl series we talked about is, is really well really nice looking it yeah. really looks good it, and believe it or not it might make you chuckle sometimes yep. uh been a long time since you did that and I'm reading a comic but whatever so <laughs> uh now jimmy palmiotti the inker and co-owner of this property he was born august 14th 1961 he attended the high school of art and design in new york city and he started at marvel comics in 1991 inking titles such as the punisher ghost rider the nam and the marvel 2099 line in 1994, he and friend Joe Casada formed a publishing company, Event Comics, and they co-created several characters and titles. There was Ash, a firefighter with superheroes, that was 1994. 22 Brides, about a group of girls that run the New York underworld in 1995. And then Painkiller Jane, this is a female cop with healing powers in 1996. She makes her first appearance in 22 Brides number one, but I'd say this would be the most lasting property that they created yeah. at, uh, from that time. Uh, and also Kid Death and Fluffy about a boy and his pet robot dog in 1997. In 1998, Event Comics was contracted to do several books for Marvel Comics dubbed Marvel Knights. Marvel Comics, which had just filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, asked Casada to work for Marvel in a more exclusive capacity and contracted him and his Event Comics partners to produce a line of Marvel books dubbed Marvel Knights. These were like experimental takes on some of what were then what they considered Marvel's B-list characters. That was Daredevil, Punisher, the Inhumans, and Black Panther. Uh, For Marvel Knights, Jimmy inked the Casada penciled run on Daredevil, 
which is uh, of a particular note because the Guardian Devil arc was penned by Kevin Smith. That was Daredevil Volume 2, 1 through 8, November 98, covered June 1999, covered not to mention the aforementioned 12 issue Punisher series written by Garth Ennis. Mm-hmm. Now, Jimmy was the anchor during Doug Monkey's run on X. This was a Dark Horse Comics book. Uh, uh, Dark Horse Comics presents number 8, uh, March uh, 1993, and then X1 through 25, February 1994 through April 1996. Uh, Palmiati inked uh, Steve Dillon on Punisher. And that's the same one written by Garth Ennis, uh, April t- 2000 to March 2001. They're all coming uh, together, right? It's, it's like all, all converging. It's right. <laughs> Uh, in 2002, Jimmy, Amanda Connor, and Garth Ennis presti- produced the prestige format one-shot, The Pro, for Image Comics, and we promise we're almost there, Almost folks. there, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, he inked Paul Gulasi on Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. This is on November 2002 through April 2003. Also, Catwoman from 2004 to 2005, and Punisher in 2006. He would ink uh, Brad Walker's pencils on the DC Comics miniseries Secret Six, Six Degrees of Devastation in 2006. As a writer, uh, Palmiotti is known for Deadpool, Daughters of the Dragon, Punisher, Heroes for Hire, and Shanna the She-Devil for Marvel Comics. Also Hawkman, Superboy, and the Monolith for DC Comics. Also 21 Down, The Resistance, and The Twilight Experiment for the Wildstorm imprint, often in tandem with fellow writer Justin Gray. Uh, Palmiotti also co-scripted with Garth Ennis a Ghost Rider video game that ties in with one of those uh, unfortunate movies. Yeah, uh, that has to be the Nicolas Cage one, and I think Mm. that... It's possible fewer people saw the movie than actually than played the game for once. But uh, <laughs> although I know almost no one played the game either, it was terrible. But uh, in July 2010, he started recording "Listen to Jimmy," a podcast with Monster Mike Campbell of the Canadian comic book and pop culture radio show "Where Monsters Dwell." He hasn't done this for a while, but those episodes are still available from the "Where Monsters Dwell" feed. Uh, Palmiotti and Gray were part of a writing team for DC's Countdown, and then they wrote Jonah Hex which would turn into All-Star Western during the new 52 and GI Combat for DC Comics. In June 2013, Palmiotti was the keynote speaker for the 2013 Inkwell Awards Ceremony at Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina. Also that same year, DC Comics tapped Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti to relaunch the Harley Quinn series. This series is consistently a top seller at DC, creating a large fan base and several spin-off miniseries. The first issue of the Rebirth line uh, in August 2016, sold nearly 400,000 copies, the highest seller of that month. And they're actually leaving the title. I think th- this month they're leaving it. I don't know if they have yet or it's the next issue, but uh, oh, wow. uh, after years, yeah, Frank Thierry is going to take over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they also did uh, Trigger Girl 6, which we discussed, uh, he right. and Gray anyway, which we discussed uh, several months ago, mm-hmm. uh, available in the archives, I'm sure. In uh, 2016, Jimmy Palmiotti joined actress Kristana Chris- Loken and Jonathan Bates in forming Trio Entertainment. This is a company that churns out intellectual properties for film and television production. In 2016, his character Monolith was optioned by Lionsgate for development. 
In 2016, his character Painkiller Jane was also optioned for movie development by uh, Jessica Chastain and her production studio, Freckle Films. In uh, March 2017, The Pro was optioned by Paramount Pictures, so uh, looks like Trio Entertainment might have something to it. Yeah, it seems like they're doing stuff, so all right. <laughs> uh, Jimmy is it's mad. funny, because uh, for the both of us, with the names Christina Loken and Jonathan Bates, those could either be the most unknown or the most popular actors in Hollywood. We would for have all no we idea. know. We have no idea anything about them. <laughs> they could deliver a pizza, and I wouldn't exactly. know. Exactly. <laughs> Jimmy is married to a longtime collaborator and illustrator, someone we just talked about, That's right. Amanda Connor, and they live together in Florida. That I wanted to leave that as a kind of a less, you know, a nice surprise for those that didn't know. But the two are happily married, and they do collaborate mm-hmm. uh, frequently together. But uh, both great talents, and friend Jimmy's also sure. a, a uh, very good penciler and inker. He's one of these guys. Uh, you know, if he's going to ink your book, you know it's going to come out, I think, pretty solid looking. So, before we jump into the comic, uh, the pro first, though, we wanted to just talk a little bit about what I'm going to call the new image comics. The the conditions that existed to allow a comic of this caliber to exist. Uh, It's sort of (laughs) unique. So, uh, someday, folks, we will do a whole episode on image comics, but to recap, and we have we have touched on Image many many times, even very mm-hmm. recently. Last week. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Image was founded by seven renegades from Marvel Comics. That would be Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Eric Larson, Jim Valentinos, Mark Silvestri, and Wilsey Partacio. In fact, when talking about it, we've sometimes truncated it to six founders because we'll say had a family emergency that forced him to leave comics for a year. Like in that first year. Yep. And I don't know his if his deal is crafted the same way. Therefore, but. Whatever, those were the original seven guys. Chris Claremont was also hanging around initially, but he was never a full member of Image Comics. Now, Image Comics was an umbrella under which several studios would do their own creator-owned work. Initially, the core members debuted their own new superhero titles in the vein of what was already being produced over at Marvel and DC. In some cases, I might say it was exactly like what was being produced yeah, by Marvel and DC. you might say that. It's, cer- it's certain of them, but anyway. You want to see Cable with an eye patch? That's right. How many Wolverines do you like? Uh... How about Wolverine with sunglasses? <laughs> <Not> him too. <laughs> uh, even with that said, they all sold incredibly well, in part due to the comics and trading card uh, speculator bubble at the time, which we promise is another uh, forthcoming episode That's of weird a, Comics History. A script is, is still there bubbling it's in the in background. It's in the works, yep. yes. Now, the first Image Comics to arrive in stores were Rob Lee Field's Youngblood, <laughs> Eric Larson's Savage Dragon, Todd McFarlane's Spawn, and Jim Lee's Wildcats. Again, they sold phenomenally well, and together they took 8.55% of the entire market share in that first year alone. The first year, you know, going yeah. from nothing. As a matter of fact, this, I want to, you know, full disclosure, that would be Malibu Comics' full market share for that year. Yeah. But before that, it had been negligible. So it, it's pretty sure. much everything was image. It, it was like going from like, you know, not existing to being a major player in the uh, market. So yeah, they didn't, they weren't even in there until the second quarter of the year, too. That's right. Actually, so it's, it's true. Yeah, yeah. They missed a whole quarter, so they could have even beefed that number. I mean, imagine if you saw it today. Uh, any third publisher taking, I mean, we see those numbers, uh, 855, but taking, you know, 12, sure. 15%. You, Marvel and DC would uh, start They'd to shiver. They would, they would yeah. be some knee knocking over there in uh, Burbank and uh, Manhattan. But anyway, uh, we fast forward several years. The markets collapse, some infighting among Image's partners, and the company's on the ropes. Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee have exited stage left. In 1997, Jim Valentino began publishing a variety of comics 
in different, less mainstream styles through his Shadow Line studio. Although most of these series, ironically dubbed the non-line because they lacked of commonality, did not sell well and were soon canceled, they introduced an increasingly important business model for the company, offering other creators the same total ownership terms that their partners enjoyed, but taking a fixed fee upon publication for Image's administrative costs. By the 2000s, Image Comics' market share was being eaten by IDW and Dark Horse, and they went through a few partner publishers. And when the pro came out, Jim Valentino still had the job. Uh, Ennis, Connor, and Palmiotti would got, got that sweet aforementioned creator's deal. Although, well, Chris, when you think about it, who else would want to lay claim to this thing? You know, I mean, you pretty much you stuck out there with it. So, uh, yeah, what book are we talking about this whole time? This is the pro period from 2002. All right, folks, now is the time. I want to re- reiterate, if you got any kids hanging out around you or you know you're open space you're at work it's time to close it up send the kids to bed put the earphones mm-hmm. in because this is going to get a little blue yes uh, and like we said we did uh we did fix some of the language so this is going to be like when you watch scarface on channel 11 exactly yeah <laughs> trying to do that <laughs> Now, before we even get into the book, let's look at the cover. It's our uh, titular hero against a black background bent over to form the letter P in the, you know, title pro. Uh, She's fixing her stained pink nylons and wearing her costume, which we will talk about in just a little bit. It's a costume, as it were. So we open on a clear evening in the city and not far from a prison, some prostitutes are plying their trade. Nearby, our protagonist is in the front seat of a car with her client engaging in the world's oldest profession. Uh, with her mouth profession. Mm-hmm. That one. Mm-hmm. Uh, when finished, she demands the prearranged pay- payment. Yeah, the client goes, I only got 30. A little more. The pro responds, Then you can drive us to the ATM and get the rest. Let's go. 30's enough. You made me wear a fork and rubber. Goddamn right I did. We agreed on that, and we agreed on 50. Quit forking me around and give me the money, okay? Forking, bitch. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm not getting out of the car till... You forking, whore. You forking, Clint. I'll forking show you. And the client pulls a gun and presses it against the pro's cheek, and she says, Fork! She runs out of the car. The client steps out and fires wildly at her. He goes, Fucking kill you, you fucking bitch. Cork soaking fucking whore. Jesus Christ. And then she runs all the way home. There, she picks up her baby from a babysitter in the building. And the babysitter is wearing a fruit print house dress and her gray hair and curlers. Baby's got a very poopy diaper and he's very, very poopy like, <laughs> yeah, the dragon. Mm. And he's sobbing. The babysitter goes, 2.30 in the morning. You said midnight, not a minute more. I know. I got held up. I don't know why I put up with this. Again and again, you lie to me. Look, if you don't want to take care of him, just say so. And I should get a lot more for my trouble than a lousy $20. The pro shuffles towards the staircase, baby slung over her shoulder, mumbling some unpleasant commentary under her breath. In her squalid apartment, the pro is doing her mom duty, and she doesn't look too thrilled about it. No, she's fixing a bottle for the baby and then feeds him while sitting on the toilet and smoking a cigarette. Uh, frankly, I've seen worse mothers than that. It's not that bad. 
Yeah, I guess. Maybe uh, he's getting fed, at least, you know. <laughs> this is true. That is a step ahead. Uh, we also do see that her prefer- preferred brand of rubber is the electric slide. All right. Uh, meanwhile, in outer space, an alien is having a conversation with a robot, as they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the viewer, a bare ripoff of Marvel's Watcher except green skin, looking down on Earth. Seems they're discussing humanity's capacity for heroism. Yeah, the viewer goes, Any human can be a hero, my faithful robot assistant. For if there is one thing I've learned in my ceaseless vigil, it is that these strange creatures hold within them the potential for endless evil and ultimate greatness. I suppose you would know, voyeur. That's viewer. Sorry? Viewer, not voyeur. I am the viewer. So they're watching the pro do her business on several screens that look to be watching her from several angles. I'd like to see the mm. camera placement there. Uh, yeah. the, the viewer does seem intensely interested in what he's seeing. Indeed, there's a box of sno- soft snots tissues and handy mm. soft lotion right next to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the viewer goes, the, the viewer who has come from far across the universe to keep a watchful eye upon this fledgling civilization, awaiting the day when they will evolve to join the other races who live among the stars and take their place in our glorious galactic alliance of sentient beings. So what do you say, my comrade, down the countless aeons? Are you still certain that this soiled dove cannot become a hero? Do we have a wager? Anything to while away the eons. Then I shall lend her a little of my cosmic soul and awaken the powers she will require. And then I shall alert the League. And back on Earth, it's the next morning. The pro wakes up to some blaring morning radio. Yeah, she hovers out of bed and slips on her robe, checks on her baby, and then notices that she is, in fact, floating. What the fork? The baby wakes up and starts crying as they do. Trying to calm the baby, the pro hovers in a cross-legged position and considers her new situation. Suddenly, there's a rapping at the window. The pro walks over to the window to open it and rips it completely from the wall. Who the fork would it be? Spit! Who? Holy forking Jesus! Yes, it is the saint. This is a... uh... A Superman ripoff here. Right. He says, Greetings, comrade. Welcome to the fight. And it looks like the League is here. This is a not very subtle ripoff of the Justice not League of America. Like, pretty much total analogs, but, you know, the characters are twisted uh, with some equally unsubtle commentary on how they're twisted. And like we said, we have the Saint, and he's very obviously Superman in yellow tights. We have the Knight, who, which is like Batman mixed with a suit of armor, and his legs are bare. Yes, and uh, like Batman, we've got a Robin. We've got the the knight's young companion, the squire, who is gripping the knight's bare leg uncomfortably. Uncomfortably for us, we mean. Uh, yes. It, you yes. know, like, it looks not great. Uh, the lady, this is a Wonder Woman clone with very large and nearly exposed breasts. The Lime, a fake Green Lantern that speaks in ludicrous jive. Yeah, he says, Coming at you in hero style and there's Speedo, their version of the Flash, except he's wearing a Speedo bikini swimsuit and suspenders. Very stylish. Uh, the saint goes, together we are the League of Honor. The pro is still wrestling with her bawling baby. She says, yeah, I think I saw you on TV. You can't knock on a door like normal people, huh? I swear I'm going to strangle this little forker one of these days. 
The saint goes, ah, yes. Uh, what is it you want exactly? Well, we've come to welcome you to. And then the pro pulls out one of her boobs and she says, mm-hmm. give me a second here. The little spit's impossible till he gets his milk. The saint explains that whenever a new superhero arises, they come together to welcome them into joining their never-ending battle against yada yada, you know, you know the whole deal. Right. Uh, the saint can't explain how she got her powers, but he says they can help the pro channel them in a positive way. Jesus fucking Christ! You ice souls want me to be one of you! And Speedo goes, that's, um, not quite how I'd put it. Lime says, Word up! Don't be dissing the saint, homegirl! That be whack! He be throwing you the justice tip! And the lady says, It is a hard road you must travel, sister. Alone it will be all the harder. I'm not your forking sister. I don't know why you retards think I'd want to come play in your rubber room with you. But have you've got the wrong woman. I've got the kid, a nine-hour shift at Denny's, which I have to be in, in two, which I have to be at in about 20 minutes. And a fun night of hand jobs to look forward to. So fork off and carry on smearing spit off the walls. And leave me the fork alone. As you might imagine, the League of Honor looks confused. The saint goes, but, but. Lime says, hush, dude. This freak be tripping. The knight pipes in with, Ahem. The League has long recognized that its members require a certain level of financial support to maintain a viable grounding in everyday civilian life. To that end, a modest stipend has been... Uh, how much? Squire peeks out from between Knight's legs. Uh, his bare legs, remember? Yeah. And he says, It's the best offer you'll get all day, ma'am. At the League of Heroes headquarters, atop a very tall skyscraper, which helpfully has the letters L, O, and H ringed around the top, yeah. the pro is quitting her job at Denny's by phone. Yeah, we cut in and catch her saying... Well, in that case, you can stick your stupid job up your ass, you fruity little spit stain. What? That's rich coming from the world champion busboy forker. Ice hole. And the pro hangs up the phone. So, what is it I have to do for this? Let it be known that honor and justice have a new champion. Evil and oppression, a new enemy. Remember this moment, child. Cherish it. Draw strength from it. We going virtuous on the sorry but are wrong do it. It's sure going to be a heck of a ride. Welcome once more to the battle for all that is right. Sounds better than soaking cork for a living, I guess. What's next? Next, she gets her costume. So this is a very small yellow top with a smaller red skirt, accented by purple gloves and high-heeled boots, also a purple cowl and cape. The top has an oversized boob window, so oversized that the pro's boobs are spilling out from it. Uh, Apparently, the outfit is cobbled together from pieces of other costumes, because we see empty boxes lying around labeled Mercury Man's Old Belt and Lunar Lasses Leotard, stuff like that. I'd still say, though, it is more demure than uh, uh, the lady's costume, which is what the stripper would wear. It's It's like paint on top. It's literally, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, So the meta alarm goes off, and now the League of Honor has to mobilize. The pro follows behind, picking a wedgie out of her butt crack. Everyone's flying to the scene except for the knight and the squire who ride on some kind of a soaring motorcycle. Uh, the squire is driving and the knight is sitting behind him. And remember, the knight's legs are nude, so it's always weird. Yeah. Uh, it seems a team of supervillains are attacking the United Nations building. 
Four criminals known as the noun, the verb, the adverb, and the adjective. The saint goes, they've teamed up. It's a grammatical gang of grimness intent on international terror. Uh... Well, the proper names were pretty much taken, and I think that's the only legitimate laugh I had this yeah. entire book. Uh, the noun lets loose a plasma blast that hits the pro right in her stomach. Whoa. That really fucking hurt! While the League of Honor fights their superpowered battles, the pro has her sights set on the noun. The noun cackles. Nothing can stop us now, you fools! A new world of transgression and depravity is just around the corner! Prepare to feel the wrath of... That screaming is uh, because the pro just grabbed her by the breasts and lifts her into the air. Yeah, the pro says, Click big! And the noun says, Let go! Please! I'll twist them around your forking neck, you twit! You think you can shoot me with your forking laser beams? You trying to forking kill me or something? The pro tosses the noun into the United Nations building, where she lands right in the middle of an assembly. The pro descends on her and sits on the noun's stomach while punching her in the face repeatedly. You like that? Huh? Huh? You like that? And now it gets pretty gross. The pro stands, lifts her skirt, and pees all over the noun's face. Her battered face, I must say. This uh, is true. This is when we find out that it's bring your kids to work day. And the rest mm-hmm. of the league shows up. The saint goes, A close run thing, but once more justice has triumphed. Let's see how our new comrade in arms is getting on. And back at the League of Honor headquarters. Yeah, the knight goes, Totally and utterly and completely unacceptable. As the knight says, There are some things we just don't do, and we do not urinate over a vanquished foe on the floor of the United Nations. In full view of the assembled ambassadors. Hey, I could name you a dozen of those ice-holes who pay to see spit like that every goddamn nightmare in town. Please don't. And the knight puts his hands over Squire's ears. That's not the point. You've dragged the name of the League into the dirt with this atrocity. Is there anything else? Uh, now that you mention it, some of us are a little concerned about the swearing. Yeah, what be up with that? Can't you stay off the profanity tip? Nobody loves a potty mouth, ma'am. How about trying to give it a rest, huh? How about you shut the fork up until your balls drop? Huh? Later, chum. Next time I say fork or cornhole or rhyme job or cork cheese, try taking a look out the goddamn window. I've got 50 bucks says this world won't have stopped turning. As for the other thing... That bimbo death raid me in the forking stomach. She's lucky I stopped with the golden shower. So you do the job your way, and I'll do it mine, got me? And the pro tucks one of her boobs back into her costume and leaves, after announcing that she needs to use the facilities. But those aren't the words Those aren't the she words she used, right, but we, yeah. get, we get the idea. Right? We get the gist. Uh, that night, a familiar scene. It's the same place hookers are working in the beginning. Uh, we can see an NYPD car in the background, so uh, we're guessing that the pro lives or operates out of New York City. Uh, we also see a guy on his knees in front of a prostitute. Uh, never mind. Never mind. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, a secondary familiar scene, the pro's client from the beginning of the story is being serviced in the front seat of his car. However, this time it's not by the pro. The pro does appear and rips the driver's side door off from her former client's car. 
Remember me, Ice Slick? Whoa, 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 what? Little matter of 50 bucks still outstanding. Mm, that ring any bells? What the fork are you? Who, get, get your fork in hands. Okay, how about the others? You remember any of them? The ones you gypped or slapped around or threw out of your goddamn car? Or just beat the spit out of? Or in a couple of instances, ice raped in the back fork and seat? Because here's the funny thing, cork soaker. They remember you. And the pro bends the client over the hood of his car and rips his pants off. Then all of the prostitutes line up with various weapons to enact their revenge on this guy. And uh, don't think these objects are used on the exterior of his body right. if you catch our drift. These aren't Q-tips. Yeah, they're going in. No, no, no. Uh, at the League of Honors headquarters, they're discussing the pro's membership. The lady says, That is one troubled soul, Saint. She walks a path too dark for us, I fear. And the saint goes, But isn't that precisely the point? Yes, she is, well, something of an individual, and she is a bit more extreme than the rest of us, and she isn't ideal hero material, but that's what the viewer told us when he first alerted us, people. Everyone has heroic potential within them. Anyone can be a superhero, provided they're given the right direction and guidance. And in this instance, that's exactly the task that faces us. If we give up on this woman now, well, what right do any of us have to call themselves a hero? So the saint decides he'll go talk to her. And the pro is at home sitting on her toilet counting a tremendous amount of cash. And uh, her knees are scabbed. Yeah, she's on the toilet a lot, too. Uh, <laughs> now uh, her baby begins to wail. She says, 50, 60, oh, for Christ's sake. Well, all right, mommy's coming. Shut the fork up. The client is there in a hospital gown, and his nose is bandaged up, and he's holding a gun to the baby's head. He goes, you forking Clint. You, you put him the fork down. Fork you, you forking bitch whore. You ever forking slut. You know what you did to me. You and those other coozers, you know what you forking did. You forking destroyed me. I got no forking sphincter, sphincter left. I gotta wear a forking colostomy. Jesus, they say they're gonna have to completely rebore my forking colon. You harm one hair on... It's going to take 30 forking operations to reconstruct my ice hole. Well, fork you, Split Tail. You and this little maggot both. I'm going to blow his brains out all over your forking bitch face. And all you can do is stand and forking watch. The saint shows up and crimps the end of the client's gun. Yes, he goes, I think I'd better take that, don't you? And this young fellow, too. That's right. Buh, 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 buh. Uh, the next scene we see is the client being helped into the back of an ambulance. The EMTs explaining they can't find his jaw. But we can see it in the foreground, lying on a ledge across from the pro's apartment. A mm. tongue attached and everything, teeth there, skin still on the bone. It is uh, a gross <laughs> implication. Yeah. Uh, then the saint addresses the pro. You know, I wish you'd told me you were going to do that to him. Spare it a moment. What are you doing here anyway? Well... The thing is, I wanted to have a word with you about... Oh, he notices the huge pile of cash. Yeah, not bad, huh? Thousand bad jobs a night. This super speed's gonna make me a rich woman. You mean, is that... Is that some sort of intimate act? Don't you know? You're not supposed to use your powers for that. I don't see why not. You guys all have secret identities and regular jobs. Well, this is mine. Who does it hurt if it make life a little easier on myself? 
But why would a woman want to do, to do that for a living? It's got fork all to do with being a woman. 90% of the people on the planet hate their goddamn job. If you look at it that way, this isn't really so different. Anyway, what do you know about women? Only one you know is that airhead bitch in the stupid costume. There, there is one other, someone in my civilian life, someone I care for deeply. But she's too wrapped up in her career to ever notice me. Yeah, that's why there's hookers. For all the guys that aren't getting any. Why are the forking world, my friend? And so the pro has a notion. So, you really don't know what a bear job is? And the next page opens with a reverse shot of the pro giving the saint uh, a mouth hug. That's uh, yeah, uh, he enjoys it predictably, and then the climax. Oh no! Move, move your head! In God's name, move your head! The pro moves her head, and the saint ejaculates right through the condom and through the wall of her apartment, out of her building, and at an overhead plane, where it knocks off one of the wings. The saint sees the situation still pantsless. Oh no! Oh yes. The saint streaks toward the plummeting airplane, struggling to make it in time to save the day. And he does. He grabs the broken wing stump and is able to right the plane to it uh, as a, to parallel the ground again. And that's when the passengers notice that the saint isn't wearing any pants. Inside her apartment, the pro lights another cigarette. Hmm. Now why do I get the feeling I'm going to get the blame for this? And over at the LOH headquarters, she's getting the blame. Mm-hmm. Speedo goes, this is all your fault, you harlot. Speedo's holding a copy of the New York Post with the headline, Semi-Naked Saint. The subheader reads, A State of Excitement. Uh, we also see the lady reading the New York Daily Snooze, the headline, Bottoms Up, Up, and Away, and the Knight and Squire are reading The Global Eye. The headline is, Inside, Saucy Saints Scathing Snapshots. Uh, Chris, it's kind of weird that the New York Post is the only actual newspaper. Right. right? I, I don't understand. Why are they all fake? Or, you know, I don't They went one way. That seems strange, yeah. Uh, it's sort of like how they name drop Denny's, but otherwise use all fake companies after that. I noticed that, too. I was like, why yeah. that one place? It's very strange. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, the pro says, Harlot, what forking century are you living in? Never mind my turn of phrase. You seduced our noble leader and snared him in your web of sin. And now his disgrace is front page news. Oh, bullspit. Since when can anyone make him do something he doesn't want to do? Okay, so his cork was hanging out and there was cream flying everywhere. He still saved the plane, didn't he? So what if everyone saw his big hairy ass? Oh, gonna need a shower after this. Uh, the saint sits in the corner, cowering in shame. Yeah, Lime says, Yo, 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 yo! This me! Would you please fork and kill yourself now? The lady says, I sense a great anger within you, my sister. This world is, of men is not for you, nor indeed for I. Mm, and the lady presses the fro into her breast, her very ample breast. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Come with me now to an island of... The pro don't dig that. She pushes away the lady. Get your hands off me, you Cape Clint. More filth, more profanity. Is that all you've got to offer? Fuck you, hypocrite. You're the one who paid me to dress up like your little buddy there and do myself one of those saggy forking boomerangs you throw around. See? See? She's tearing this group apart with her lies and insinuations. Well, this is an interesting, if not entirely unpredicted, uh, unexpected development. Yeah, for sure. I would have guessed something like this, but uh, anyway. 
Uh, the pro gives the League of Honor a real dressing down and says they are kinky degenerates in a speech so profane and vulgar it cannot be repeated. No. The, the knight goes, how dare you? Oh, please. You dress up like that and you run around fighting other perverts into the same spit. What kind of sick forked game do you call that? Speedo goes, but that's monstrous. We're the League of Honor. Security of the planet rests in our hands. I mean, do you know how many evil supervillain teamers we've defeated? How often we've saved the world from unspeakable cosmic menaces? The pros now slouched in an easy chair, and she says, Shame you could never fix things so I didn't have to soak dork for a living, isn't it? Lady responds, societal change is a matter for humanity to affect alone. The whole question of free will is, Forget I asked. Like I say, all you're doing is playing games. Nothing you do makes any real difference. Nothing you do puts you in any real danger. That isn't true at all. Sink got killed once. Well, sort of, anyway. Yes, and I hurt my back quite badly, actually. And I'm not the original lime. He... Oh, Jesus. That's also fucking lame and makes my teeth hurt. And now, the prose manifesto. And you mean the professional writer of this comic, right? Pretty much, yeah. But uh -huh. she says, You can't fight the real bastards and expect to get away scot-free. You can't make real changes unless you're prepared to piss off and hurt a lot of people. You goofs, whatever you think it is you're doing, you're of no use to this world at all. You're a lousy example to people. You're not the kind of heroes they need, and you have nothing to do with the reality that they have to live in, because this is a harsh fucking place, and it is forked to give people the idea that someone's coming riding to the rescue. Lady says, to inspire hope can never be wrong. No! What about when those cork suckers slammed the planes into the World Trade Center last year? Where the fork were you then? Speedo says, I think that was the day we were fighting over the overlater. Listen to me. We don't need you. What we need are guys with the balls to drop bombs on schools and hospitals. Because that's where these isoles like to hide. Or people who've got it in them to sneak up behind them motherfuckers and cut every throat in sight. Or just some poor slob that'll run into a falling building knowing he's going to die. But we're going to throw it all away anyway. We need people who don't know spit about hope. And that's all beside the point. As the knight says, they're here to discuss the pro's membership. We're here to discuss your future with the League of Honor. To decide whether your part in the Saints' public humiliation will mean your dismissal. So ask him. Saint goes, what? It was his dork I soaked. He says he didn't want me to, that I must have forced him into it. Probably use some evil mind-controlling twit power or something so I should be kicked out. Ask him. Well, Saint, was she telling the truth earlier? Did you want it? I, uh, I, uh, no. You fucking prick. Just then, the lady hears of a hostage crisis happening at the Empire State Building. The Saint petitions for the pro to get one last chance to redeem herself and the knight acquiesces. They fly into action. This time, knight and squire are using some kind of glider. And yes, knight is still showing bare legs and is trapped behind squire for some reason. Mm. Uh, the pro looks really angry with the saint, really frowny at him. At the Empire State Building, the knight says there are six perps with automatic weapons holding more than 30 hostages on the 88th floor observation deck. The pro suggests they leave this to the cops to minimize the damage. It's not in our nature to stand idly by while infamy rears its head. Lime? Yo, 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 what be up? You're going to distract the terrorists while the rest of us come in from the rear. 
Keep them occupied long enough for us to reach the hostages. You got it, K-Dog. You be the man, know what I be saying? Cops are circling the Empire State Building in helicopters as our heroes converge on it. Yeah, but Cop 1 says, Bravo, Command, to all Bravo boys. We are green for go. Repeat. What? What the fork? Bravo 4, we have more of them coming in from the east. Over. Bravo 3, I have no clear shot. This is 6, a no clear shot. God damn it, Bravo. Back off. Do not deploy. I repeat, do not deploy. The lime swoops into view of the observation deck. Yo, you suckers be way off your turf. You know what I'm saying? You fools be bugging, man. You be messing with a player now. The lime creates a big plane construct and aims it towards the building. The terrorists unload their automatic guns at the lime, cutting off his ring finger, separating him from his power ring, you see. Uh, also causing him to plummet to his death. That was That's the comedy of that scene. Yeah. <laughs> so the League of Honor streams into the building and chaos ensues. The pro kicks the guy in the jewels so hard, his upper body separates from his legs. The saint jumps in front of the hostages to protect them from a hail of automatic gunfire and the bullets ricochet back to murder one of them. He begins firing wildly, bullets everywhere. One even goes up Speedo's butt. It's true. It's true. Uh, Then a sniper from one of the circling helicopters takes out three bad guys with three very well-placed shots. Uh, One more holding a duffel bag bomb and a detonator, and he's prepared to let it blow. I don't like the look of that. Don't let him drop it. Don't let him take his hands off it. Motherforker, don't you even twitch. Uh, the pro grabs his arm and holds on, huh? holds him still. Iso, Jesus Christ, don't struggle, you dork. Spit! She rips his arms clean off. Now the pro has to hold the perp's hand over the detonator so the bomb doesn't explode. The bomb squad arrives and determines that even the slightest movement will cause the bomb to explode, but the bad news is that in five minutes, it will detonate anyway. Mm-hmm. The saint goes, give it to me. I'll fly it into space, and when it goes off, no one else will be hurt. Don't be stupid. How can I give it to you without taking my hands off it? The pro lights a cigarette with the help of the bomb squad. I have a kid. Turn him into one of you souls, and I swear to Fork I'll come back and haunt you forever. The pro takes off flying from the observation deck, clutching the bomb, detonator, and terrorist bloody arms. She flies into deep space, and her cigarette extinguishes. <sighs> Forked again! Nearby, the viewer and his robot, remember them from the beginning of the book, are watching mm-hmm. from the spaceship. Uh, it's invisible, so the pro can't see it. Yeah, the viewer goes, Told you, didn't I tell you? Any human can be a hero. See, a common street-walking prostitute sacrifices herself to save the millions of lives of New Yorkers. I win the wager, my dedicated robot companion. Mm, you certainly do, voyeur. How many times do I have to tell you? Oh, sorry, viewer. How could I forget? She doesn't know we're here, does she? No, of course not. The satellite is cloaked at all times. What is your point? Mm, it's just that she does seem to be coming rather close. A little under five minutes, wasn't that it? Oh, holy fucking spit! The epilogue, in captions. Having recovered from their injuries and mourned their fallen comrade, the Lime, the League of Honor resumed their ever-vigilant defense of the planet Earth. Their epic battles against superpowered villainy and extra-dimensional alien menaces continues to this very day. The Pro was never heard from again. The League never spoke of her. 
not even in whispers. It was almost as if she hadn't existed in the first place. But in a way, maybe, possibly... The scene is the League of Honor faces off against a band of supervillains that include a brain and a fishbowl on a robotic body. And uh, they're taunting one another. Yeah, the brain and a fishbowl says, Fools! This time your puny league will crumble before our awesome power! Speedo goes, If that's the way you want it, buddy, but don't say we didn't warn you. And the saint goes, You forking cork soakers! She hadn't gone too far after all. The knight nervously says, to, to battle. Her kid grew up. Not a bad idea when you think about it. The end of the pro. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, that, uh, that'll leave you conflicted a little bit. Uh, mm, yeah. Grimy, dirty. My, my, the dirtiest. Scratching yourself. Yeah. thought, uh, sort of regretful. <laughs> uh, you know, you're wanting to uh, press uh, quit on the browser, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a crazy one, folks. And definitely uh, we won't be doing more like that, but only for this special episode. Sure. Uh, but we, we do we do want to talk a little bit more about the pro and then about some more related comics things. So, Chris, uh, you were familiar with this comic before me, but this you hadn't looked mm-hmm. at it in a long time. What, what were your impressions having read it? I assume the second time. Yes, this was the second time I read it. Uh, the first time was uh, actually I got this on release day uh, because, uh, yeah, like a lot of uh, a lot of folks who have hold boxes at the comic shop, you know that sometimes they just throw stuff in yeah. there, hoping that you don't notice or that you're too cowardly to put it back on the shelf. And uh, I was the latter. I, right. <laughs> I didn't want to put it back on the shelf, so I bought it and I read it and I got to the scene where uh, I got to the urinating scene and I was just like. Wow, this is not for me. And I, and I mean, I was in my, I was, what is this, 2002? I was 22. Right. So, I mean. Yeah, you, I, you I, weren't I was, exactly an old, uh, grizzled. You yeah. Know, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't, uh, you know, a, I, I didn't have kids in, I wasn't on the PTA or anything. So, this is yeah. not a, not something I would have been averse to, but it was just, it seems so grimy. So, just uh, definitely over the top, you know. Uh, you know, yeah. she could have just beaten beaten the hell out of uh, what was it, noun? Was that right? The, the, uh, the yeah. villain, and uh, that would have been, I think, okay. But it would have sufficed. Had to, yeah. think, had to go the extra level of grossness. Definitely, you know. And this is one of Ennis's, uh, you know, great qualities is his grossness. I think if you're into that thing, his uh, section eight is pretty gross. Even Hitman can get kind of Hitman. Yeah. Not even think about it. It's all gross. And the preacher. Boys, yeah. The boys, the preacher is real gross. Uh, yeah. Anything from Avatar that he's done. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he's he doesn't shy away from that sort of material. I I I would not recommend this to anybody. Uh, no. I enjoyed it on the on the value of first of all thinking it was a nice looking comic, but uh, oh, it looks great. Yeah. This, this is like this is like X rated Mad Magazine. This mm-hmm. def- definitely speaks to your most base bathroom humor type jokes, and uh, there's definitely a part of me in there. I, I think I think it would be a stretch to say that I like it or that I will really ever read it again. But mm-hmm. th- there is more to it in terms of there being Ennis's commentary on. Superheroes. I was gonna say there's a dissonance because it's it's got the over the top silliness, but then it's it's got this really petulant message. Where it feels like it's being written by like a like a high school student who just realized that superheroes suck. It, it, it's it isn't really also very fully thought out. Uh, yeah, I think it, it is essentially you know like the old thing like why doesn't Superman save everyone in the world if he 
is so super, and the answer yeah. to that is number one, we're talking about fictional stories. Of course, Superman can't actually do anything about things in the he real world. Stop 9/11. He yeah. couldn't stop nine eleven. He couldn't. He can't stop a lot of the injustices happening around the world. That is not sure. a real being. That's something. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it, that's not what these stories are built around. You know, there are other types of stories for that kind of uh, sure. you know superheroes. Um, they they don't do uh, social work. But anyway. <laughs> uh, it's it's okay. I, I, again, it really for me the the top thing would be seeing Amanda Connor do all the visuals uh, and, yeah. and Palmiotti's inks are a great compliment. And you know, I, you know, it's I was glad to hear that she had. I didn't even know that she had a, a book from IDW and a book from DC because a collection of her work is worth having. I got to be honest with you, she really is oh, great. Yeah. And she hasn't done a ton. When we went through her whole history, she has done a lot of work, but. She doesn't do a lot of interiors anymore, and and it's missing because she definitely understands, you know, plotting and movement and the language, like that, yeah. the language of comics. So, absolutely, um, a, you know, a quality in terms of a production value, maybe not a great quality in terms of comedy and uh, <laughs> insight. But you know, it has it does have its moments. Even sure. you, know, you chuckled at the uh, at the co- the proper proper names. The proper know? names was funny, and you know, there were there were a couple of moments I. I had my little laugh at, but uh, there were other reactions to the pro at the time. We only have a handful of them here, but it's really the last one I think is the important one. Yeah. Uh, Craig Lemon of Comics Bolton responded positively to the pro on August 16, 2002 on ComicsBolton.com, calling it a hilarious piss take while commending the morality play twist ending. A geek in the city's Aaron Duran or Duran uh, placed the the pro at number four on a list of the best graphic novels of the 2000s, which tells you how bad the 2000s were. Uh, this was in a post from December 22nd, 2009, and this was on geekinthecity.com. He labeled the book one of the most vile, disgusting, perverse, and gut-numbingly hilarious comics of all time. I think it would. Well, he's make, partially right. I would. I think it would make my top 500. <laughs> Graphic novels of the, of the uh, 2000s. Depends how big that list is. Uh, the Pro ranked at number 14 in the comic book resources list, the greatest Garth Ennis stories ever told, where it was described as off-kilter and hilarious. Another half, right? Um, now, upon receiving a press release for the book, uh, you know, longtime artist Jim Steranko lambasted it as psychotic, nihilistic garbage produced by evil cultural terrorists, which prompted the creators to use the uh, the silly, sarcastic dedication at the end of the book for Steranko. Yeah, which kind of shows you where their you know humor yeah. lies. It's a little, little on the puerile side. That's the word. So the uh, hook for this is uh, other times in mainstream comics that we see sex scenes, since this is a very sexy episode. This is the only time we'll talk about this kind of stuff. (laughs) Uh, We had to put a few restrictions on this category. That actually we broke a couple of times anyway, but uh, (laughs) there are plenty of comics that specialize in this sort of thing. So if we really wanted to detail all of the times, we would have to go to that back section of the comic store, right? Behind the curtain. Sometimes it's behind a curtain. In New York, they don't always put a curtain, but it's always, you know, in, in a corner somewhere. Uh, so, yeah, we, we kept it to the mainstream DC and Marvel. and uh, No and we, Cherry Pop-Tart, no none of Omaha that. the Cat Exactly, dancing. yeah, like the stuff that's very graphic. And, and then we narrowed the field even further, because whenever the four mature readers label gets applied, it seems that everyone must bump uglies right away. So, like mm-hmm. we said, Marvel and DC superheroes only, no epic Vertigo, Ultimates, Max, or any adult-only imprints. Those are just 
going to be full of sex, and we did kind of like so no uh, no Luke Cage and Jessica Jones uh, butt stuff. Right, that that, okay. that that was on the list at one time, and that had to go <laughs> for that reason. But we we stretched it a couple of times for uh, yeah. special scenes. But anyway, we generally say to that, and uh, really only when it's specifically suggested that they had sex, not just like two people are dating for a long time, and you assume it. We have to like see them wake up, you know, topless. They're, Many ways, com- or even gr- hmm. embracing naked. There are many ways comics can uh, convey this without doing it. So, like, like I say, we can guess that Reed and Sue Richards have done it, but you never see them naked in bed, glistening with perspiration, right? It, you, haven't, you haven't seen my fan fiction. Maybe, maybe there. <laughs> I'd admit, maybe in the Ultimates line, uh, there. I, I never oh, saw God. that possibly, but uh, <laughs> anyway. So we're going to start off with one of my favorite ones that I read as a very young child. This was Swamp Thing and Abigail Arcane. This and Saga of the Swamp Thing, Volume 2, number 34, March 1985, cover date by Alan Moore and Steve Bissett. Now, a human can't really form the beast with two backs with a plant, but Swamp Thing has Abigail eat one of the yams that grow on his back, and the, you know, those, those orange yams, and they share a psychedelic melding that goes on for many uh, two, you know, double-spread pages, and that probably is way better than actual sex, so that was good for them. And always kind of grossed me out. Well, with a good reason. With a good reason. <laughs> no, we also have uh, Batman and Talia Al Ghul. This is Batman's Son of the Demon, the original graphic novel from 1987 by Mike W. Barr and Jerry Bingham. Uh, while Raz Al Ghul helps Batman find a mutually despised criminal, Bruce has an affair with Raz's daughter, Talia, with some uh, strongly implied bed squeaking. Uh, this would be used as the basis for the four-issue four story Batman and Son by Grant Morrison and, uh, and Andy Cubitt in uh, 2006, uh, which is how we got Bruce and Talia's kid, Damien, the current Robin. Uh, now, the aforementioned sex scene would be re-rendered for the animated film Batman and Son, which verged on softcore pornography. Right, yeah. It makes that original classy scene just wipes it away. You're looking at humping <laughs> in, in a cartoon. Uh, this one is also sort of loose, but one of, one of our favorite scenes in Action Comics, yes. Volume 1, number 593, October 1987, by John Byrne, did everything. Creepy apocalyptic sleaze uses mind control to get Superman and Big Barter to make a sex tape. But Mr. Miracle shows up and saves his wife. The two t- heroes technically don't have sex, but the idea alone is enough to turn your stomach. And there's a lot of, like, weird flirting-ish type thing going on. A lot of sex. It's very uncomfortable, it's yeah. It's a very uncomfortable thing. So this is the famous <laughs> issue that begins with Darkseid sitting in an easy chair and Scott Freeze. Oh, I love it. Things. I love that. Yeah, everyone loves to see that. <laughs> Just kind of hanging out reading, reading a uh, Sears catalog. Uh, there was also Green Arrow and Black Canary, of course. Uh this is definitely a couple we can assume have done it plenty of times, but mm-hmm. in Green Arrow, Volume 2, Number 34, July 1990, by Mike Grell and Dan Jurgens, uh, this that issue contains a rare, explicit page of lovemaking. It's sort of, mm-hmm. you know, you ever notice that whenever they have that kind of sex page, the, the, the panel borders go away? Yes. It's just like just like little like shots of them like kissing and you'll see like a side boob. Anyway, let's yep. uh... <laughs> uh we have the saga of Stacy X. Uh this is Miranda Lavald. She's a mutant created by Joe Casey and Tom Rainey. First appeared in Uncanny X-Men number three ninety nine back in November two thousand one. Now, she has this ability that to exude pheromones that can control people's reactions. She can make them vomit, for instance, uh, or have uncontrollable orgasms. Hmm, I wonder what she did more often. I wonder, <laughs> yes. Uh, now, her introduction was originally written to have her 
servicing uh, then-mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani. However, since this happened in such close proximity to 9-11, and he was then America's mayor, Mm -hmm. this was changed to former President Bill Clinton. Now, yeah, why not? One politician's Uh, good as another, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, didn't even need to have a face. Uh, Now, she grew up in a mutant brothel called the X Ranch, probably a play on the Bunny Ranch, Right. before joining the X-Men, you know, since the the ranch was destroyed by uh, mutihaters at this point. Uh, After seducing some members of the X-Men and maintaining some secret special clients that she serviced on the side, Stacey X left the X-Men under acrimonious acrimonious circumstances. Uh, She left behind for Angel, however, a video of herself jumping rope naked, stating that she didn't want to stay around him and his girlfriend, Husk. More on her in just a little bit. Yeah, but first we have this kind of gross scene in Avengers Volume yeah. 3, number 71 to November 2003 by Jeff Johns and Stephen Sadowski. Issue opens with Janet Van Dyne writhing in pleasure on a bed. She lifts the sheet and we see a tiny Hank Pym walking through her cleavage and he's pretty wet. The scene ends with him informing her that it's her turn. Yeah, that was was an uncomfortable. It's like that's not even needed. Why? Why That 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 like strikes the gross out and the fetish uh, thing. I don't know what to do with it. Now, uh, speaking of fetish, we have a She-Hulk and Juggernaut. This is Uncanny X-Men Volume 1, number 435, from February 2004, by everyone's favorite, Chuck Austin and uh, Ron Garney. Uh, Juggernaut was going through a reformed villain period. He was actually part of the X-Men. Um, and so he was uh, busted out of jail due to being unjustly imprisoned. While he's out, Juggernaut and She-Hulk hole up in a nice hotel room and make it smell like hot and sour <laughs> Because, uh, as you know, uh, you know, She-Hulk is a lawyer in her uh, in her uh, civilian life. That's right. Now, Dan Slott tried to explain this away during his run on She-Hulk as having happened on an, in an alternate reality, but the fan base and even the people in the book didn't buy it. Right. Uh, it actually became something of a running gag during that run, where uh, it would be mentioned and it would uh, it would annoy her greatly every time it was mentioned. Yeah, people people kept believing it, and uh, I I'll accept it. Hey, it's a, it's in print. There it is. Is and it's it's that they 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 wrecked that room. They did definitely. Uh, speaking before about Husk and Archangel uh, in Uncanny or Angel in X Uncanny X Men number four forty, April two thousand four, again by Chuck Austin and Salvador La Roca. Uh, Angel and Husk have sex in the sky, while several X Men and Paige's mom watch from below. Uh, they actually drop their clothes on them before they bang, so that's at least give them some kind of warning. Yeah, it was a very unfortunate scene. If if underwear falls in your head, folks, don't look up. That's that's what you learned from there. Especially if it's your daughter's Especially underwear. Especially if it's her underwear, is that, for sure. Uh, and a very uncomfortable one here. We have Nightwing and Tarantula. Now, this was Nightwing number 93 from July 2004. A lot of 2004 here. Right, this was a good year for Humphrey, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> this was by Devin Grayson and Patrick Zercher. Uh, Tarantula murders Nightwing villain, or Bat villain, actually, Blockbuster. Yeah. And Nightwing is unable to stop her, and as such, he suffers a little bit of a breakdown. Tarantula then rapes him on a rooftop while rain pours down on top of them. Uh, Devin Grayson kind of distanced herself from the word rape after a bit of a backlash and changed her depiction of the event to non-consensual. Oh. 
which makes all the difference in the world, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, from reading some of Ms. Grayson's fan fiction, this is a uh, not an uncommon theme, and uh, by that we don't just mean rape. But Nightwing rape. Wow, and she, uh, she got it published. Bless her heart, you know. Hey, and I mean, I mean, th- th- this was weird because she was kind of like the it girl around this time. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, I uh, that, yeah, yeah, she was getting all the good gigs and people, people really digging her. I mean, uh, she was like the girl in comics at this point, and she, she was good. Uh, she was good looking. This, I mean, this was it, a good run. This, uh, this Nightwing. I, I actually don't hate it. You know, I, I read yes. a lot of it, and it's. Uh, but this is a weird outlier, and Tarantula was always is sort of a weird character. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. They obviously wanted to get a romance going between them, but when something like this happens, that don't work. How, <laughs> how's that going to work? You know? Because uh, it was, yeah. it seemed like I we missed a I missed a meeting after this book came out because all of a sudden everybody was like really dogging uh, Grayson, and that's that's when like her fan fiction came out, and uh, I mean her last name wasn't originally Grayson, by the way. She changed her name to be Grayson. Okay, uh, yeah, a uh, little, little wild then. Yeah, and uh, and people started digging even deeper and found out she was dating Mark Wade. So it was like a lot of things all hit at once, and it was too bad because she she she's not half bad a writer. But yeah, uh, I, I remember this being a good little run. But uh, yeah. Oh well, but remember for, e- for HR purposes, that's a non-consensual sex, not rape. <laughs> anyway, uh, this was a real wacky one. Monsieur Mala and the Brain in Outsiders, Volume Three, Number Thirty-Nine, October two thousand six, cover by Judd Winnick and Matthew Clark. Issue opens with a postcoital Mala and Brain in bed. How they made that work, we don't really have any idea, since the Brain is a brain in a jar, essentially. But Whatever, takes all types. Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch also did it in New Adventures number 26, January 2007, cover date by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev. Clint saves Wanda from some calamity, only to discover that she has amnesia and doesn't even remember her own identity, so they have sex, naturally. But don't worry, later on it turns out that Scarlet Witch was a Doombot all along, so... It's fine. Hawkeye had sex with a, with a robot, not with Scarlet Witch. Don't you feel better now? I do. I feel <laughs> uh, back with our old friend She-Hulk, she and Clay Quartermain uh, did some stuff. In She-Hulk, Volume 2, Number 18, June 2007, by Dan Slott and Rick Burchett, uh, She-Hulk is made to join S.H.I.E.L.D., just like everyone else in Marvel. That's right. Uh, after, after her cousin is exiled from Earth. Clay Quartermain is in charge, and uh, she finds herself sleeping with the boss. Pretty much, yeah, that's where the... And, you know, we, we actually probably could just made this whole section time She-Hulk has She-Hulk has done stuff, But yeah. a lot of it is implied, uh, not... We, like I said, I only went, we only went for the visual ones. Yes. Uh, speaking of very visual one was Black <laughs> Batman and Black Canary in... And this is argued, this is, you know, not in continuity, but it's there. All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder Volume 1, number 7, November 2007, covered by Frank Miller and Jim Lee. Oh, that was a very subtle book. They're very subtle, uh, exactly, <laughs> yeah. You, you, you might not have noticed the, uh, the this scene, but uh, especially in the scene that preceded it when Dinah murders everyone in her bar with her bare hands <laughs> and feet and legs, if I recall correctly. Uh, she and Batman screw in the pouring rain, because that's the kind of comic book this is, basically. Subtle. Yeah. Very subtle. <laughs> Uh, we talked about Scarlet Witch earlier with Hawkeye, but now we've got her with Quicksilver. Uh-oh. Uh, Ultimates 3, number 3, April 2008 by Jeff Loeb and Joe Majuara. 
Now, after showing some pretty incestuous tendencies, it's revealed that Wolverine the pervert actually watched Wanda and Pietro doing the nasty. We have a quote. It says, spurned by his father, desperate for his mother, Pietro found in Wanda a kind of love that no one in this room can really understand. Ew. You know, as we've said on this show, I'm not really familiar with the Ultimates, and the more I learn about them, the less I want to become familiar with the Ultimates. It's It's like they're always doing it. It's always doing it, always something wrong and gross and heroes acting jerky, and then... Hey, yikes! Uh, yeah, I don't know if I need. I don't know if I need that in my life, but uh, we do need She-Hulk and Hercules and She-Hulk. <laughs> Again. Uh, of course, yeah. Volume two, number thirty. This is August two thousand eight by Peter David and Val Semeckis. After working together, after working together to dispatch a gigantic rampaging Bran Murphy, Jennifer and Hercules make sweet music together, and we see them cuddled up in bed with Hercules' expensive hairy chest and everything. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Aunt May and J. Jonah Jameson Sr. in Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, number 592. That was June 2009 by Mark Wade and Mike McCone. Peter heads back to Forest Hill's home for a fresh Spidey uniform and walks in on Aunt May and Jameson Sr. doing the horizontal mambo. But turnabout is fair play because in Web of Spider-Man Volume 1, number 50, from May 1989, long long time before that, by Jerry Conway and Alex Saviak. Aunt May walks into Peter's bedroom and catches him and Mary Jane snuggling under the covers. So, hmm. if you're not going to be knocking on doors, you're going you're gonna to sure. have to take what you get. That's what I got to say. <laughs> uh, back with our friend Nightwing. He and Starfire have had a long-lasting relationship. And uh, Titans, Volume 2, Number 16, October 2009, by Christopher Yost and Angel Unzueta is the one we're going to be talking about. Uh, Dick and Corey have, of course, been shown in employed, implied uh, post-coitus lots of times. But in this Final Crisis wrap-up issue, depicts them in the act of doing it while uh, severely underdressed. Uh, though, if we're being fair, Starfire is uh, always severely yeah, underdressed. Yeah, so yeah, she, she took off her two pieces of clothing in, that, in this case. <laughs> now we're going to break our rule here, our DC Marvel rule here by talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Season 8, number 33. This is March 2010 by Brad Meltzer and Georges Genti. Uh, Buffy is given superpowers and with them flies out into space and bangs her boyfriend like like you do. When Why? I mean, that, is that the first thing you would do with your superpowers? <laughs> You know, I I, I don't understand. You know, it's like, oh, God, I get to do what I always wanted to do. Have sex in space. Anyway, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, here's another weird one. Red She-Hulk and Tyrannus in Incredible Hulks, Volume 1, number 626, June 2011, by Greg Pak and Tom Grummet. When Banner's ex-wife, Betsy Ross, begins losing control of her transformations into Red She-Hulk, she hooks up with Bruce's old foe, Tyrannus, and plots a museum heist with him. Oh, and uh, screws him, too. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wrap up with a controversial one, or at least it was when it happened here. Uh, this is Batman and Catwoman. Now, the two have done the implied nasty a bunch of times in the comics, notably during uh, Hush by Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee. Uh, the most explicit, however, was probably in Catwoman Volume 4, Number 1. This is the New 52, uh, you know, November 2011, by... Uh, Sex crazy Judd Winnick and Gilla March. Uh, Catwoman attacks Batman sexily, and specifically asks that they, when they do it, they keep the masks on. Oh, that's you know that's their that's fetish, yeah. That's their prerogative as uh, <laughs> mask wearers. So, 
Yeah, that was a lot of uh, weird times in comics. I can't, I can't think of any one of those times that I've read where I was like, wow, this was a good scene. You know, like, it's always like, <laughs> it's always like, oh, oh, yeah. Like, you know, I'm willing to, I'm willing to just take it at face value that they have sex off panel. Can we do that? Is that allowed? I'm fine for that. Um, but anyway. I that, think that's so, how a lot of us got through friends with uh, Joey uh, having sex all the time. We never saw it. We yeah, just knew that You he knew it was happening. That's, that's, yeah, so that's good okay enough. With that. You know, just, uh, yeah, we, we don't need to see the, I don't, I don't care, you know, what the makeup of the people involved, I don't want to see anybody, you know, uh, even the two sexiest heroes or whatever, but uh, that's what we came up with for this. I'm sure that list could be added to, I'm sure you could expand the parameters and really start piling on the, uh, the moments of uh, sex in mainstream comics, so if you have any more to add to that, or if you have anything to say about the pro, or about the creators, or anything we've talked about today, or if you have a comic book to recommend for us to read in the future, you can email us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash history. We're on Twitter at CosmicTmill, and I'm on Twitter at ReggieReggie. Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. You can find our weekly writings at weirdsciencedccomics.com and find Chris's daily writings at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com where he reviews a different DC comic every day of the week. And uh, very recently, you've kind of been dipping into the Rebirth stack. Yes, recent stuff. Um, yes, trying to catch up. You're trying to do something. You're, trying to, you know, you're kind of coming in from both ends. You know, if you, if you read mm-hmm. all the comics from the 40s and 50s and you read the ones from last year, Eventually, you'll meet in the middle somewhere in the 90s, Somewhere. probably. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's great stuff. It's it's really good in-depth uh, mm-hmm. looks at each comic. Uh, lots of uh, panel breakdowns and, you know, or, or showing a lot of panels from the comic. Plus ads at the end. It's uh, You can't miss it, folks. You got to go check it out. Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. It's uh, something new for you every single day. Mm-hmm. Speaking of not every single day, we have weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com. That's the show blog where uh, we occasionally put some stuff. Uh, I don't remember the last time I did anything on there, but uh, yeah, it's there's, uh, some, there's some stuff on. And it. I don't think we'll be putting anything for this particular show on there. Okay, that's I uh, would say no. That's for you all lot to seek out. Uh, it's easy to find if you want to find. Exactly. As a matter of fact, uh, I was able to get my issue from the Image Comic Store, the uh, digital. Oh, store, very good. So. You can read it digitally, or I'm sure I, I have seen it in the wild plenty of times. So that can it can also be gotten there probably for cheaper than what I paid. But um, I think that's all we got from Chris. I definitely need a shower now. Do you got anything else for him? Yeah, I'm gonna need a shower too, uh, <laughs> but not together. No. Um, <laughs> Uh, nothing nothing else just uh, next week uh, we got our, our big Christmas show that's right and uh, we're looking forward to that and uh, uh, we'll be taking re- recommendations uh, for any week after that that's right we do have a list we're still getting through but uh, send them in folks we love we love to see mm-hmm. your recommendations uh, especially you might catch our fancy someone asked this uh, I think it was Joe right on Twitter what we like to what kind of comic oh, yeah. we prefer to get and I mean my, my basic answer is Whatever you like, you know, whatever comic mm-hmm. you, whether whatever reason you pick it, whatever. But in general, in a specific, or more to say specifically, we love the ones that are meaningful to you, and yep. to find out why. Whether it was your first comic, your father gave it to you, you found it, whatever it is, you know, there's a million story. Everyone's got their comic story, and as trite as it is, we always love to hear those. So 
If you want us to read one of those, we would be more than happy to read that and to tell your story, if you will Absolutely. tell us. Absolutely. Include the story, for sure, and we'll, yeah. uh, we'll definitely share it. But I, if that's all you got for him, Chris, I think I'm going to tell everyone out there to keep it on the treadmill professionally. Skeezia. Yeah.